traditionally, and as you know, and still pretty prevalent in Europe, the men's to women's ratio is, is very skewed. It's very mm-hmm. significantly more men than there are women in trail, mountain, and ultra races. And there are some races that have made big pushes to, to increase the women's number. And, uh, you know, there's no right answer. Like, do you just... Um, allow less men in you know that seems like that's um that hinders uh men running the race which at this point in history i think yeah why not just just limit the number of men and and increase the number of women and uh women have gone through that their whole lifetime so yeah that's what why i'm not thinking just sort of tip the balances <laughs> the other way to the extreme um but that's probably not the right way to do it because it doesn't mean like you know limiting the possibility to for women for a long time for basically or all human history was it definitely a mistake so why would we keep doing the same mistake but the reverse with men Hi everyone, how are you doing? My name is Francesco. I'm in, I'm your host for the Running Long podcast by Vertran. Today I sit down with uh, Peter Maximov, one of my greatest friends and someone who's really inspired me to pick up trail and mountain running more seriously and with a lot more madness and fun. So as he likes to describe himself, then of course I'm gonna ask him to give himself a short presentation. He's a mountain runner from Many Two Springs, Colorado, innovate ambassador, beard cultivator, beard connoisseur, tree hugger, photographer, perfectionist, foodie, plugger, enduro bites eater, and everything else I forgot to mention. Hi, Peter, how are you? Hey, Francesco, ciao, how are you? I'm good, thanks uh where are you where are you speaking from uh i am here in uh right in downtown manitou springs actually uh probably about 10 meters from where the pikes peak marathon finish line is and uh, i have fond memories of you <laughs> collapsing and taking photos of you you know having my camera in your face um, <laughs> just just across the road here so, yeah yeah it's so it might be a little loud there's some cars coming by but that'd be a nice morning to sit outside yeah for sure that's a meaningful place to to have a conversation from <laughs> at least for me i i remember that place really well from my pike speak marathon finish in 2019 and uh yeah of course many two springs is a pretty special place for the sport because it's home of several trail mountain races uh one of them the most famous is the pikes peak marathon and also the ascent there is also bar trail mountain race that you are or used to be the race director yes so of course pikes peak uh sorry pikes peak and colorado represent a great place for the trail running scene especially in the united states how you how do you see that how what do you think about it yeah, I think since you, when you have a race that's that old, I believe this should be the 66th year of the Pikes Peak Marathon. Yeah. Uh, and 
although it's not the oldest uh, in the country, I believe it's now the longest running marathon because, because of COVID. Boston Marathon was canceled for a year and postponed. But yeah, I guess once you have that cancellation, you can't consider yourself a continuous running race. Um, but yeah, I mean, we have a, an amazing mountain right here behind me. It climbs almost 8,000 vertical feet of gain uh, in a matter of 12 or 13 miles. And it, it's pretty spectacular. I mean, I, I, if there wasn't a race here, I'd be very concerned because it's, it's, <laughs> it's a place that's you know, not being utilized. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, and there's a lot, lot more races in, in the area that you wouldn't hear about internationally. Um, but yeah, I think the Bartrail Mountain Race, just because I was the race director for five years and on the committee for 10 years, that I, I sort of pushed it out to my friend, in, international friends like you, and we did <laughs> get a, a few uh, great, uh, great athletes internationally. So. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing for me to think about what a place like Manitou Springs represents for the sport because you know it's kind of like I, I don't like to say Chamonix because it's you know it's different but maybe yeah. I don't know Sierra because that's where Serzinal starts Serzinal is going to be this weekend it's a pretty special place that uh, a lot of people in the trail running community know that it is a start of a great race and the history, the tradition that surrounds it is uh, is important, and is is gives me a, a special feeling that is important to to preserve. I think. Yeah, I think, and, yeah there uh, are those races where you you feel the energy, and I yeah, I've um, since since I've been injured, I've been going to a lot of events, historic events. So Dipsy Race, which is 115 yeah. years old now. Um, what else did I go? Western States, uh, Mount Baldy, which is in, in its 50 mm -hmm. years. So it, I, I feel like, and maybe it's just me, I, I, I internalize the history of it and think, wow, this is a special race. So you do feel that, you know, those, those butterflies in your stomach and you think, true, you know, no one has to tell you that it's special, you just feel that it's special. How important do you think it is to preserve the tradition of mountain and trail running with, you know, these events that have been running for such a long time and uh, somehow they keep the atmosphere of the origins because maybe they never change the course or they are organized in a way that they truly make you experience something that is, you know, maybe not very fancy like some races with you know big sponsors and uh, yeah. a lot of people a lot of media coverage and stuff but they're truly the heart of the sport uh, i think it's important that people realize that trail running was born out of these places and these race directors and athletes who were you know racing with nothing just a pair of shoes shorts a flag for the start and uh, a trail so what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I, I think I like the history, that history, the, the grassroots. Yeah. Um, sort of you just come and, you know, with a pair of shoes and, and you don't need anything fancy. Now we have the ultras, which you need a lot of equipment for. You know, there's 
like UTMB, they, there's rec, uh, required equipment that you have to carry for good reason. It's to keep yep. you safe. But um, yeah, there's something very, um, very amazing about just stepping to the start line, you know, with 10 other people. It doesn't have to be a big race. It could mean a special race to you. But uh, I, it, it's good and bad that races have become more corporate and bigger and fancy and you know you get all sorts of jackets and hats with your entry and i think that sort of loses the 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 root of why we're doing it we're doing it to challenge ourselves to be out in nature up in the mountains so yeah it, it's it's a complicated um it's a complicated thing because for, for athletes, we need to get paid. We, we need to make a living. And maybe 20 years ago, you couldn't do that in the sport. And now you definitely can with sponsorships and, you know, races assisting you to get, you know, to get flights and housing. So uh, I just hope that some races, you know, they sort of, when they get too big, they lose their, they lose their luster, their, um, their small town grassroots feeling, which I don't particularly like that part of it, but I know life is all about growth and change. So you have to sort of deal with it, accept yeah. it, work with it, not against it. Yeah, true. A um, couple of things that uh, made me think about your answer. Um, first, I think it's important that people realize that without these old historic traditional events, like, I don't know, Pikes Peak, Mount Baldy, there is so many races here in Europe that are traditional and historic for the tradition of mountain running. Without all these events, there might not be, you know, UTMB as we know it today, or other big and famous races as we know them today. And without them, probably trail running wouldn't be as big as it is now. Of course, it's growing for several reasons. Uh, after the pandemic, you know, more people are enjoying the outdoors and outdoor activities. So it's great that there is more people coming to the sport, more investments, more media attention. But still, I think we need to, need to grow uh, sustainably and realize what has been before uh, the present time and uh, the other thing is like the growth is just so deeply rooted in our you know western world uh, you know the economy is all about growing in everything we do we want to do more and bigger and faster and stronger and you know it follows our economic system i think and as long as we prioritize growth over everything else it's probably not going to be sustainable and i just hope that as a you know outdoor enthusiasts uh, nature lovers and just people who are passionate about a beautiful sport that is trail running we can realize that and kind of revert this uh this uh this this growth and make it more sustainable and more 
yeah, just uh, better, you know, closer to people, uh, more respectful for the places, the natures, the community where the races take place. And uh, maybe it's a, it's a dream, but I, I would like to, to hope that it can be like that. Yeah, I, I think so. It's when you get too big and as we're finding out with anything, any company, any, any country, um, when you get too big and too corporate, you, you lose sight of your, your ideals and mm -hmm. why the reason why uh, you started in the first place. So, you know, I, when you start to feel that and the people that attend, um, say, a big race, and they don't get that feeling of, oh, this is a special race. Now they just want my money. They're trying to sell me a hat. They're trying to sell me sunglasses, trying to sell me jackets. And on top of the $400 entry fee, it's like those people may not come back the next year. Yeah. And, and then you don't have a race because you need people. So, yes, as far as the sustainability part, that, that's, you have to remain true to your roots. And then I, I also believe that it's, and, and most trail runners know this, but when you're out on a trail, it's a, it's, it's a special sacred place. And seeing something like trash on the trail is, is, is unnerving to you. You know, mm -hmm. someone else may not think about the person who threw it there, but um, I also think that we have to go above and beyond. And, and, you know, for example, as easy as just picking up trash on the trail. Yeah. But but even organized um, trail cleanups through races. I think that's, it's above and beyond, but I think it's something that's necessary. Yeah. And plugging, of course, is an activity that you regularly do and uh, I try to do too. So that's important. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> it's plugging, fun. plugging is uh, the act of picking up trash while you're running. Yep. It was a, it was a term coined by a, uh, I think um, it comes from Sweden. Eric, Eric Alstrom. Yeah. Yeah. Who was just here oh, cool. um, visiting the U.S. And he he was going to try to make it down to Colorado Springs, Manitou Springs area. But um, he was traveling with his son and they they had many things to see, you know, Moab and, and Rocky Mountain National Park. So he didn't make it down. But um, he did a few events. I think he did a plug, uh, a talk at Trans Rockies Run. 500 people there. He said it was pretty amazing. So you know, if you get one of those people to realize, oh yeah, I saw, I always see trash on the trail, but I don't, you know, someone will pick it up. It's, you know, it's not my job. If they say, well, maybe no, maybe I should do it. You know, if it's just that one person, I think that's, that's huge. That's, yeah. you're changing that person's mindset. You just, yeah. they just needed to be told. It's a need cultural to be reminded. shift. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And, uh, Let's keep talking about the importance that Manitou Springs represents for the sport because there is really a lot of stories that are connected to this special place. Mm -hmm. um, the first one that comes to my mind is that Manitou Springs is the home of uh, the great Matt Carpenter, the legend of the Pikes Peak and yeah. of so many other mountain races. And uh, he now runs an ice cream shop in Manitou Springs. So yep. talk about Matt and uh, maybe your relationship with him. Yeah, so Matt lives about 
five, 600 meters up the road from me. And uh, I, he, he doesn't drive cars. He, he's uh, environmentally conscious, but he does have a little 50cc little moped that I hear him ride up and down to go to the custard shop. Um, yeah, so the custard shop is right down the road here. And, and it's delicious. Um, yeah, yeah. I think <laughs> I, I took you there, you and... Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, so it, it's... I think it, he needed to find an outlet because he he was undoubtedly the, one of the best mountain trail, even ultra runners of his time. I mean, he still has the Leadville Trail 100 record. Uh, he, he has the Pikes Peak Marathon record that was set in 1993. And he's, he's, uh, he's a combination of all the things you need to be the best athlete in the world. He is, is physiologically superior to almost every human being. I think he was tested at 91 or 92 VO2 max and at, at 17,000 feet, like Everest Base Camp. And then he tested 94, he told me the story once. But they said there was a problem with the uh, machine, the VO2 max machine or, you know, the, whatever electronics. And so yeah. he doesn't go by that one. Um, he he's physically he's he's shorter uh center of gravity is a little lower um you know not your not your prototypical mountain runner typically we think tall and lean um like a, a remy bonnet looking <laughs> fellow uh but uh yeah with the highest vo2 max one of the highest vo2 max is ever tested and also um he's got the the mental ability he, he yes when he focuses on something he does it all in per perfectly is not the right word but yes all in so you know if he's training for here at pikes peak he will make sure he knows every rock on that course and, and he does know every rock <laughs> yeah yeah there was a story where he 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 told me this story he ran it was his birthday month birth month so he ran up to Pikes Peak every single day that month. Um, I don't think he ran down. I think he either took the cog down. You know, that would destroy your body, as you know, yeah. coming down that even easy. Yeah. 13 miles of, of uh, yeah, almost what <laughs> was it? 2,800 uh, meters, 20, about 2,800 vertical meters. Yeah, somewhere in there. Yes. Doing my quick math. Um, and yeah, he just, he was very efficient. He, uh, you know, he knew he had to drink water, but he didn't, he did tests where he would put one of the bottles, you know, I don't, this is before they had packs, the, the really nice uh, vest now he, but he had a handheld and he thought, no, it makes my lever too long. Like it, it, then it affects my gait. And so he would get a water bottle sort of like this and tuck it into the crook of his arm and run like that because it was more efficient um, because it was closer to his body. And, you know, imagine if he had the technology <laughs> we have nowadays, he'd, he'd have a vest. It was water was perfectly balanced. Um, but yes, he just, he committed himself and he, he had the mindset, he had the uh, physical and mental ability. I think those are the perfect, um, perfect combination yes and 
and Sage has said it best. Sage um, has Sage candidates analyze, you know, a student of the sport, looked at a lot of events, run a lot of events, and um, lots, a lot of the same events that Matt has run. And, and I agree with him when he says that this Pikes Peak Marathon record is probably the best sub-ultra distance record in the world. Yes. You know, and that includes big I do agree. like Sierras and all. I mean, Killian has come out here and been about eight, 10 minutes off, something like that. Uh, and it's not, not that I think Killian could do it, but he would have to come here for six months, focus on the trail like Matt did. I mean, yes. Killian definitely has the ability. There are a few athletes in the world that have the ability, but you know, then you have to plan and to um, going up the mountain in two hours and one minute is, is mind boggling even today. It is. It is because it's very high and uh, the lack of oxygen just slows you down a lot by the finish. Uh, but Matt was very well acclimatized. Um, he used to do workouts from the top of the mountain down and up and down and up like intervals. Uh, you told me. Yeah, yeah. He, he called that, and I've done this workout. It's a very difficult workout, but it's about the the um distance of the marathon it's it's called three two one so you 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 start at the top of the mountain you run down three miles back up at race effort you know obviously the run down is sort of you want to recover um and then you run down two miles back up two miles down one mile back up one mile so it's 12 miles all above eleven thousand feet and it it does a good job of simulating the race and you've done it obviously you know that when you're lower down, you feel good, you feel normal, um, you know, but you're still at high altitude. And then once you hit 10, 11,000 feet, you start to see, wow, I, should, I really yeah, should test uh, my body. I think above the trail line, it gets pretty difficult. Yeah. So that's kind of the threshold. Right. And it sure. definitely helps when you have a 92 BO2 max. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's I think. A that makes him special. Yes, a, there's a lot of other talented athletes yeah. that I think could break that record if it was moved down 3,000 feet. Um, I just, he goes the same pace at, at 12 or 13,000 feet that he does at 7,000. I, I think that's, that's the gift. Yeah. And he, he also holds the record uh, for like the fastest marathon at Everest base camp. That is like a, another crazy time. And uh, I think that all is statistics and uh, like the, the stories about his Pikes Peak uh, record and the course like turn by turn, rock by rock are all on his blog. That is super interesting and, you know, very, very simple and basic, but for someone who is a, Trailer running geek like me, it's full of information and uh, cool things. <laughs> so I would put it in the show notes for sure. Nice. And um, yeah, he, um, I looked up those records recently and he did some testing at, I think it was Everest Base Camp, wasn't it? Yes, it was Everest Base Camp. So, so above 5,000 meters, that would be more than. 16,000 feet 
I think. Yeah, I believe it was 17,000 that he has that record, marathon record, and it's two hours and 55 minutes. Yeah. Something like, like that. that. And then, and then isn't there a, uh, it might be not that high. Um, there's another record. It might be like 15,000 feet and then 17,000. The second record is three hours and 22 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't sound fast, but have you ever tried to walk at, yeah. <laughs> above 10,000 or above 15,000? I've not been above 15,000, but um, yeah, it's mind blowing. Yes, it is. And he's also a very, I mean, I don't know him so well, but by the way, I got to know him is he's, he's very shy and humble and a very simple person that on the day of Pike, Pike, Pike Peak, he keeps serving ice cream and frozen custard in his shop. So he doesn't want to be, you know, in the spotlight or to get all the attention. He's just a, you know, a peculiar character of, uh, of our sport. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm glad you brought that up because I feel like to be, and I would call him a genius in the sport, you know, a different, not necessarily a, a, intellectual genius but um a genius in what he did with his body and how he trained and using his ability to the fullest um you have to be quirky you know van gogh cut his ear off because he he was a a brilliant artist um i definitely miss you know I, i i don't have an outlet for for um what i do now i feel like running was that outlet and being injured uh, I think most runners would understand that. Yes, totally. And I'm sure you know with your <laughs> fractured uh, elbow. On a, on a smaller scale, yeah. But uh, I've definitely had a few injuries in my career and I've been lucky enough to be able to bounce back. Um, you know, I'm still recovering, but I know how it feels to be sidelined and out for a fair amount of months at least so it's tough and yeah uh, i mean even if you're not i mean you are obviously one of the best um sub ultra trail runners mountain runners in the world and you don't have to be to be that you know you could be a middle of the packer but if you're injured and it, it does affect you the same um you know obviously it may be different because someone who's a professional athlete they're not getting an income and they're not i mean that's their whole persona but i feel like and i've talked to people that i you know and i i've been it's been difficult for me being being around events uh, but i i like to stay involved but when i speak to someone who's who's not run you know within two hours of what i run in the pike's peak ascent and they are expressing the same feelings when they're injured i think oh they're no different like they're they need this as much as i do so it's mm-hmm. you know you we all think that elite athletes obviously are take it the hardest, but um, I think they just show it the most. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Thank you for bringing that up. Um, so that's you. You mentioned that uh, you know, besides the injury, that uh, has not made it possible for you to continue your career as an athlete. You've stayed in the sport and you've got involved 
um, on the media side with your work with Atra. Um, can you maybe for our users who are not super familiar, what is Atra and uh, what does your occupation involve? Yeah, Atra is the American Trail Running Association. We are a nonprofit based uh, here in Colorado Springs. Uh, Nancy Hobbs is the founder and executive director. Uh, she founded the organization 26 years ago now. So it's, it's a very old organization and being a nonprofit, you know, you don't have the money to do something like Iron Far does where you, you know, you employ 10 people to cover a race for, for two or three days. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's humbling to be in the nonprofit um, realm. I, I think I've been doing it most of my life. I realized like, oh, why am I never making any money? Like, oh yeah, because I'm try trying to do good. Um, but it, it was founded just as a, um, a way for, to connect runners, trail runners, um, to support the, the elite level, the U.S. mountain running team members to, to travel internationally into world championships. Um, we have the online, biggest online race database on the internet at trailrunner.com. And uh, a funny story, we have trailrunner.com and we have Trailrunner Magazine in the U.S., mm -hmm. which is very popular and since acquired by Outside Magazine. And um, a few years ago, I think Nancy Hobbs was approached by someone at Trailrunner. Well, was, this was many years ago, uh, approached by someone at Trailrunner magazine asking to purchase the the domain name trailrunner.com and she said no you know we've been around long enough we we she uh, secured the name probably you know, 20 years ago now when no one thought the internet was going to be what it is now but um yeah it's 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 a place you know, we write articles we um we um have race insurance for trail races which is a sp very specific you know there's a lot of road races and triathlons and those sort of races but trail racing is unique in that there's there's a lot of different um working parts you know on a if you have a road race you have to shut down the roads um hopefully you're not gonna have any cars on the road so that's that liability is shut down but there's always rocks and roots on the trails and there's there's always lightning and, and thunderstorms in trail races. So uh, it's a, a unique, um, it's, it's a unique opportunity to offer an insurance um, for trail, run, trail race and ultra race directors. So yeah, and, and there's just a lot of information on the website, you know, connect with, you can connect with people, you can, uh, find a trail race in your area and if you punch in and this is although we are the American Trail Running Association we we are, have now grown I mean everything is international now if you're an athlete or a company or a business you, you have to be international it's the world has shrunk now that we can talk to someone in in Italy uh, live and uh, you know it, it's so you sort of have to be international, but we have a lot of international races on there as well. Cool. So what does your occupation uh, in Atra 
involved exactly? Uh, it's since it's a nonprofit, um, it, 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 everything. Okay. Um, you know, with a nonprofit, you wear <laughs> That's many what I hats. Figured. Um, lately, I have been attending events, and what I wanted to do is go to all the classic or longstanding races and sort of experience that and write about it and uh, take photographs. So that's what I've been doing mostly. Um, for example, I've gone to the Dipsy race out in um, Mill Valley, California, sort of central California, or north of San Francisco. It's 115 years old this year. Uh, I, I attended last year and that was, as you mentioned earlier, that's one of those races that you just, you feel it in your heart. It's, it's a very special race, special events. And, uh, you know, they have a lot of traditions and, um, you know, they've been doing those traditions for a long time. So it's, yeah, it, it's pretty spectacular to, to attend those. Um, just a month ago, I went to Hard Rock 100, yep. which is, um, yeah, I'm sure a lot of Europeans know of it now because... You know, Killian and Francois have gone back and forth with the course records and um, Courtney Dalwalter broke the course record this year and it's just the mountains are incredible there I'd never been and so I wanted to go and ran to the top of one of the, the climbs and it was Grant Swamp Pass and it just looks like a different world up there you see a a blue lake and there's an island right in the middle of it and um just the rock features it you know looks like you're on a different planet just spectacular and i i understand now why why uh, a lot of the europeans it's a difficult race to get into but yes. why they apply and why they keep coming back because it's yeah it's very special so I, I, I've wanted to go and experience those, even if I wasn't racing them myself. I mean, 100 miles, it's, you know, maybe someday if I'm healthy. And, but it just seems like too much on the body. I'd rather <laughs> run short and fast yeah. while I can. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for example, Hard Rock Race directors seem to want to keep the ambience and the concept behind the race the same as it is like, they could probably organize an event that is as big as UTMB maybe, but they don't want, they want yeah. to preserve that small event, uh, atmosphere, um, the grassroots, um, yeah, the grassroots atmosphere of the origins basically. And with all the rituals, like kissing the, the rock with a goat after the finish, all things yeah. like that. And they, yeah. that's what makes the race spectacular, I think. Yeah, it's, again, it, it goes back to our, our discussion about pros and cons. It's, mm -hmm. yes, it was very grassroots. Uh, your time doesn't stop until you kiss the rock. That's, <laughs> that's how the race works. You don't, you don't break a finish tape or, uh, you know, come to big, big fanfare at the finish line. It's just, uh, there's a rock at the end of, it's a painted rock and um i'm sure when you see it you're very relieved you know that's sort of you you've accomplished your dream um but there's also uh drawbacks to that because they're 
traditionally, and as you know, and, and still pretty prevalent in Europe, the men's to women's ratio is, is very skewed. It's very mm-hmm. significantly more men than there are women in trail, mountain, and ultra races. And there are some races that have made big pushes to, to increase the women's number. And, uh, you know, there's no right answer. Like, do you just... Um, allow less men in you know that seems like that's um that hinders uh men running the race which at this point in history i think yeah why not just just limit the number of men and and increase the number of women and uh women have gone through that their whole lifetime so yeah that's what why i'm not just sort of tip the balances <laughs> the other way to the extreme um but that's probably not the right way to do it because it doesn't mean like you know limiting the possibility to for women for a long time for basically or all human history was it definitely a mistake so why yeah. would we keep doing the same mistake but right. in reverse with men so right. i would yeah, probably so approach I, the problem in another way yeah you have to approach it with i mean you have to be compassionate um maybe compassion is not the right word but you know, you, you want to be fair and, and you can't blame all of the, the past um, misgivings or dysfunctions on, on current day. You know, you can't blame mm-hmm. the dead for, for what the living are doing um, <laughs> or vice versa. Uh, but th- the reason why I bring that up is because the, the women's ratio in um, that race is significantly less than the males. And they've, they've done some things to improve that, but, you know, there've been people saying it's not enough. Mm -hmm. No more needs to be done. And again, like how much more that's, I feel like that's what we, what we have to grapple with. Yeah. You can't just say like, all right, we're only letting 10 men in and we're going to try to get a hundred women. It's like, is that fair? I mean, what's fair? Historically it might be fair, but, um, yeah, and then you're then you're putting that burden on people that you know, shouldn't maybe have that burden. True. Moving on a little bit, um, you know, we we touched some very important topics that are so broad, and yeah, they're they're probably related to any aspect of our sport. So it makes me reflect and think a lot about the words that you just said. Um, as a European, you know, I'm always interested in the way trail and mountain running are approached and also viewed differently uh, in, the, in the United States, in America, and in Europe. And as someone who have experienced both uh, environments because you've been racing in Europe for many years. You did a lot of experiences and races. Um, some some of them in Italy, a lot of them in Italy actually. Um, what do you think about it? Like, what's your impression and your take on this? Yeah, I, your Europe is a m- much older culture, so I think there's a lot of things that have been figured out and a lot of things that are 
baked into tradition and maybe <laughs> just glossed over. Um, for example, um, well, uh, and you, you were there, you ran this race, um, uh, Zermatt Marathon. It was the 2015 US, um, World Mountain Running Championship. Yes. And um, after the race, we, uh, Italy won, but uh, the U.S. was second as a team. And um, uh, I think we were also silver on the women's side. And yeah, it was uh, Stevie Kramer, uh, yep. I think was Brandy second. Erholtz. And also, yeah. And Andy Walker was also yep. second among the men. Yep. Yep. And, and so we were on the podium and they, they have 15, uh, I think the uh, podium was about 15 people deep on the men's and the women's side. And so it was, it was a special moment for me because I was, I was 15th place in the race and got to go on the podium and they handed me an envelope with money in it. And I thought, wow, this is really nice. You know, I'm 15th place and uh, I get to, I get some, you know, I don't know. It was, it wasn't very much hundred Swiss francs or something, but um, and I turned to, to Brandy who, who also placed 15th. She was my teammate, Brandy Earholtz. And I said, Oh, at least we have some beer drinking money. And she said, Oh, I didn't get money. It's only 10 deep for the women. And I thought that, that I knew of all of this, but that was like a first, it affected me because I was immediately involved and yeah. I thought, Oh, that's not right. You know, and I, that's what made me realize, yeah, there's definitely, and this is not just Europe, obviously we have our issues in the U S but I think, um, it's more ingrained in Europe, whereas that's how it's traditionally been. And the women's percentages are 30 to 60 or, you know, 35 to 65, whatever it may be. And, that's how we give prize money. And I feel like you have to, you're, that's never going to change unless you do something drastic. Like, you know, what I did at the Bar Trail Mountain Race one year was offer women 20% more prize money than the men because it, it's, that is the wage gap that women earn less than men in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, it was very successful. There's people, particularly women, were very happy about it. You know, they, I think it just brought, brought it to people's minds that women usually get, always get paid less. And, um, but there was a few people that were just, they were the loudest, you know, they were the smallest percentage, but the loudest and the most angry about it, saying, this is not right, this is unfair. Like, yeah, that's the point is to show you that it's unfair. It's been unfair for women throughout history. Yeah. And, you know, I do it, someone does it once and yeah, maybe we need to make people angry, you know, and, and then that will change the mindset. But um, I just think it's, it, that's the way it's been done in Europe for a long time. I mean, there's a much bigger history there with, with the ultra mountain trail races. And, um, I think that, um, you know, it's no fault of their own. There's new race directors saying, oh, we only have 10, 10 deep for prize money for women and 20 for men. It's like, well, maybe one year you go from, go down to 15 to 10 and then 15 to 15. So yes, it's, 
as you said, I think systematic change is, is often better because it's longer lasting than more drastic knee-jerk reactions. Um, yeah. But yes, it is. I've noticed it in Europe. It's just mm-hmm. not, it, it didn't seem as controversial in Europe because it was tradition. And that's how it had historically been. Um, but I, I think there has been a lot of voices, yes, you know, calling it out. Like, well, even though this has been done this long, it, it needs to change. And so, yeah, it it's definitely changing, and more and more people are speaking up when something is not fine and doesn't yeah. seem equal, and it's not equal actually. Uh, it's something that I've spoken out loud myself too. Um, and it's, yeah, the, you know, the way race directors and the general public have accepted that, uh, for example, the thing related to price money and uh, the amount of price money and how deep the price money goes is, uh, is now pretty much, yeah, it's widely accepted that it should be equal among men and women. And there would be no possibility for a race to enter, for example, an international circuit without equal prize money for men and women, like, you know, Mountain Running World Cup or Golden Tour Series or UTMB World Series. Those races need to have equal possibilities for men and women. And maybe, you know, six, seven years ago, uh, things weren't like that. It would have been accepted and kind of normal that, you know, price money was different. So things are definitely changing. Um, I'm not saying that we're perfect. A lot of work needs to be done, but yeah, something is, is definitely progressing in the right direction. Yeah. And I, the same thing has happened here, but it's happened very quickly because mm-hmm. um, it, I mean, we're a newer country. Things happen more quickly here, I believe. Yeah, I guess. Uh, it's something that I've realized as well. Um, you know, I find a lot of differences in the way that the average U.S. modern trail runner approaches the sport compared to the European trail runner. And uh, there are so many reasons. Uh, most of them are cultural reasons. And the way that sports the sport culture is deeply rooted in the American culture, for example. And um, also like the interest that most American trail runners have in ultra distances compared to, yeah, in, in Europe, of course, ultras are big and they get a lot of interest, but the mountain running scene and the shorter distances like Golden Trail World Series and you know mountain running they're pretty big as well so there is like probably more balance on this side and um, yeah just just a lot of things that make our two approaches interesting and um, peculiar I think and that's what I like to experience for example when I come to the United States because maybe I expect certain things and then the way I live a race or a certain atmosphere 
changes my perspective and the same happens in Europe as well. Um, yeah, I know you don't like your early morning races at 7 a.m. <laughs> yeah, that's why Serzinal starts at 11 <laughs> a.m. Yeah, Pike <laughs> starts to me. at 7 a.m. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'll start whatever the time is. And um, what do you think, for example, about some, you know, I know about an organization that is present in the United States that is Trail Sister, that is, uh, you know, it specifically encourages uh, women's participation in trail running. It has, you know, special content and uh, information and support for women athletes. Um, it's something that we don't have, for example, here in Europe. And what do you think about it? Yeah, it's uh, Gina Lucrezzi's organization, um, Trail Sisters. It's a encouraging, motivating um, women to get into trail running. And um, I, I feel like sometimes the barrier for women is that they don't have peers doing it, so they don't want to do it. So it keeps them out of doing it. But mm -hmm. um, when you have women that are there specifically for women's sake to encourage each other and again it's not necessarily an exclusionary group but it is and it, it it probably should be because men are usually men are not excluded from almost anything so yeah except for giving giving birth but um you know it's it's a good exclusion um but it's Yeah, it's it's it encourages, it motivates, it's um, being amongst your peers and feeling, you know, like you're not you're not around a lot of testosterone. It's it's high energy that you know you want to be around your own kind, so to speak. But yeah, it's a great organization. They've done a lot. We've worked with them through Atra, and. Um, You know, they've held events and we did one here in Manitou Springs where we ran up to Iron Mountain and uh, had a big group of, of women. And there's a few men, too, but um, we were sort of the, the encouragement entourage. And uh, yeah, I, I feel. You know how you feel when you get around your close friends, as opposed to just a group of runners you. You feel comfortable. You can say anything you you that's on your mind. You don't hold anything back. You express yourself more. So yeah, I, I'm actually surprised there's not something like that in Europe. I'm sure there is somewhere. I'm not sure. Like, not maybe not probably not the in, same way. Not the same type of organization. And it's yeah. kind of weird that I'm not aware about it because I follow the sport pretty closely. Yeah, but I will further look into it for for sure. Yeah, <laughs> maybe maybe you you should post those photos that I took of you at the finish. And yeah, you were pretty wrecked. Yeah, it was a very tough year for me. Uh, that summer was really tough, and I also had like some very low iron, so I was very fatigued. Nonetheless, I decided to race, and uh, mm -hmm. I think, like it, it was in Colorado that things started to to change a little bit. 
I'm not not just saying physically, but also mentally, because then that year I went on to to play second in the World Long Distance Mountain Running Championship in Patagonia behind Jim Wamsley. So it was a very good end of the year for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was in Colorado that things started to click a little bit and uh, and shift. So it was a cool experience for for that reason too. Besides, yeah, sometimes you just need a change of atmosphere. Yeah. You know, we we went together to so many amazing places on the top of Pike Peak. And then we ran on that lake. I don't exactly remember the name. And then we went to to the great sand dunes national park and to Mosca Pass. It was amazing. Yeah. It was a yeah. good time. Mosca, yeah. We'll always remember Mosca Pass. Yeah. Me too. Yeah, no, it was, um, I, I come across those photos often and think about it fondly. It's good experience. I think I, I like the, and I've been over there and, and you've shown me around, uh, you know, Como and, and Molono and all of those <laughs> places. I, yeah, those are, those are the times I, I, feel, I feel as I get older that those are what running is about to me. You know, it, it obviously racing and racing well, uh, being part of that, um, any, any event is, is important, but then what you do afterward and before the interactions you make and people you meet, I think that's, that's what's most special to me. Yeah. 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 Yes. I do think so. Everyone fondly remembers about you in Malono and, uh, Every year, I didn't go back to the race this year, but uh, yeah, I've been, I was back every year since you, you were there. And every time we, of course, mentioned your name and <laughs> you were special for that race and for the community Malono and the race director. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that. It was uh, a great time. It felt like I was at home. Yes, because I, you know, my mother is Italian, so I, I, I felt the the roots there. Yeah, but yeah, that was that was a special special time at Flat uh, the Trail. Yes, I really enjoyed that. So as we get towards the end of our conversation, uh, I would like to ask you a couple of questions. One um, that I tend to ask to some of our guests, I wouldn't say all of them, but, you know, most of them maybe, Mm -hmm. Um, that is about the development of trail, mountain or ultra running, whatever you want to call it. Um, Like we've been mentioning a few things about the development, but I would like to ask from your perspective that is now maybe on the media side, more oriented on the media side. And also as an elite athlete, um, where is the sport heading? And uh, like, of course, there is more opportunities for an elite athlete to be a professional, to make a living out of the sport. And it's probably good. Um, But like, how do you see this development from... Yeah, and in the, an elite athlete standpoint, and also as someone who is involved 
uh, on the media side. So not much as a average runner, you know? Yeah, I, I think the development side is going to come at the, the shorter distances. The, um, obviously, we have cross country and at, from a young age and track and field. And, um, you know, if someone's starting at five years old, you don't want them to run 5K at five years old. You want them to run 800 meters. And then when they're 10 years old, they can run two miles. And at 12 years old, maybe, maybe run a 5K. Um, and then through high school, I think that's, that, that's, in my opinion, that's how you keep someone healthy. That's how you mentally and physically, I, I've seen a lot of athletes that get into the longer distances when they're very young or they're pushed very hard when they're young and they get to high school and they don't want to do it anymore. It's not fun for them because they were, they were forced to do it, so to speak. They, um, they had to train very hard. And I, I've coached uh, a youth group here in Colorado Springs called the Copacabra Kids. And most of the hard workouts, the kids would be in tears. And you have to tell them running is difficult. Like it, it's going to be hard while you're doing it. You, if you are not happy with it afterward, um, the reason why you're doing it, the reason why it's hard is because you want to perform well at races and, and say, if, if your mind's not into it, your head's not into it, don't, don't push yourself. You know, some days as elite athletes, we tend to push ourselves all the time. You know, we have to, we have to train. Um, we rarely say like, oh, it's, I'll take an easy day on it, a day off and, um, I think that's what kids need to be able to have fun with it. And it is play. I mean, it, it should be play. It should be play for us elites too, but it, it then money comes into it and profession comes into it and status comes into it. So we have to, hopefully we don't lose track of why we're doing it in the first place is to have fun, experience nature and have fun. And I, I've, and this is in the U.S. in particular. I'm not sure how it is in Europe, but I feel like ultra running has become the most popular facet of the mutt community. Uh, and you know, the hundred milers are the new marathon. Like everyone wants to do a hundred miler. Yes. When you do it, when you're 18 years old. I feel like that's not good for the body. I don't think we should encourage younger athletes to do the longer distances. There's plenty of time to do the longer distances. Start with a vertical K. I feel like that's, you work really hard. You're not going to beat your body up. Uh, but that's even harder than, a, than an ultra, I feel. Maybe not mentally, physically, definitely. A vertical K. And those are now becoming popular in the U.S., I know they're very popular in Europe, but um, it was a new thing until maybe three years ago, four years ago. What is this thing that we just run uphill <laughs> in two to four miles? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's probably the hardest you've ever worked in your life. Um, so I think, I think for the sake of health, we, we need to not encourage the longer distances at a young age. 
and that's you know a 10 year old shouldn't be doing a marathon or a half marathon they stick to their specific you know you're going to run 800 meters yeah uh, um, they have plenty of time to train um, and they're just not emotionally developed yet physically yeah. mentally or emotionally developed to do those longer distances although they might want to but that's that's the reason why we have authority figures that they know yeah we need to to educate these young athletes and uh yeah maybe this is a little bit of an unpopular opinion but i'm glad you brought it up because yeah not many people mention that but it's an important side of our sport that we need to take care of as uh you know people people who are more experienced or people who are involved on race organizations and on the media side because you know the storytelling of our sport is always doing more and longer and faster and better and it's easy to get caught up in this you know in this in this story in this narrative but then there is people getting hurt and then there is people dropping out of the sport because they burn out so it's for sure something that we need to take care of and uh, and consider yeah it, it is unfortunately those longer events are glamorized and then you have phenomenal athletes like courtney dewalter jim walmsley killian francois um beth pascal like all of those athletes that these young athletes are looking up to and say i want to do that well they're experienced they've been doing it a long time and i I want to say that almost all of them have probably started at the shorter level and, and slowly moved up and are now doing the longer races. Yeah. yeah, but it's an education topic for sure. Yeah. And uh, just real quick, how do you see the development of trail running in general on the media side? Uh, it's, it's definitely changed um, in the short time I've been doing media i've come to realize that um well when i say media I would, I'm, i'm thinking specifically photography or videography it's become very popular you know solomon did a great job of of making these these videos that were just spectacular spectacular settings um gopro footage chasing people down a mountain and I, th I feel like since they've done that, um, a lot of other events and race directors have wanted to do it, but they don't reward or pay the people that are doing it. It's, it's a lot of work. And I, I've, I've realized since, since I've started taking photos that there's someone who just wants you to take photos for no money. Like, well, I have to make a living. So it's, there's that, We've, we've come to a point where it's, uh, you know, now race, race directors can't get things for free. They have to, they have to pay, you know, even volunteers. That's a tough mm -hmm. position to be put into, to, you know, volunteer as someone who does participate, but willingly without pay. But you can't work them hard because they're giving their time. You know, you can't have them work a 24-hour shift. Just you have to make sure they're fed and they they get time off um 
yeah, they're doing it on their own time. So you have to be considerate of their time. And that same thing with photographers, videographers, um, someone who's covering a race. I, I feel like people were doing that just because it was a, a newspaper would write about a magazine or, and they didn't, what most people don't realize is, you know, they were getting paid back then. You can't not pay someone all of a sudden now um, just because you want great photography at your race. Um, so it's, yeah, it's tricky. And I, and I've just in the last few years, I've, I've come to understand, you know, a, a photographer's plight, whereas, you know, they're, Maybe they didn't get paid for a race, but they, they have amazing images. And there's a lot of athletes that want to use those images. And then their sponsors want to use those images. They're like, wait a minute, you're making money off of me when I didn't make any. So it's, yeah, I mean, I, I understand that now because I am directly involved. Yeah. So, uh, but as far as the bigger media, yeah, I think the there's always a camera at, at, at a popular event uh, or a, a video in someone's face, a video camera in someone's face at uh, an ultra. And it's, it, I mean, the, the runner is doing it um, hopefully for the love of the sport, but um, it, it's very, it's becoming very commercialized. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I mean, as we talked about earlier, yeah. the more, maybe not commercialized, but the more corporate something becomes, tends to fall apart or tends to lose its, its uniqueness. Yeah. So thank, we're, thank we're you at a strange it. place. We're at a very interesting um, crossroads with, with mm -hmm. media and, and the world. I do feel the same way, yeah. And uh, for sure, it's going to be interesting to to see how our whole environment develops uh, at different levels. And uh, I, yeah, I just hope that you know people, and uh, especially people who are who have the power, that is probably more on the brand side than on the athlete's side at this point of our history of trail running. I just hope that these people have good values about, you know, how to grow the sport um, when it comes to making big decisions that affect the way that a lot of people experience our sport and uh, that they always care about sustainability, both for the environment, of course, and for the people, for humans. So that's my, maybe my final message <laughs> that I want to leave yeah. the audience with. Yeah, I agree. And the brands have do have a, a big hand in that. They can, you know, make it more sustainable, um, keep athletes healthy, um, make products that don't go in the landfill yeah. at high numbers. Um, yeah, yeah, I think that that part of it is it is the sponsors and and brands that are going to make that difference. All right, we've got to 
the end of our conversation. I don't want I don't want to take too much of your time today, Peter. And um, thank you for being with us today. I will yeah. for sure try to put uh, some material and links that we've mentioned in the show notes. And uh, yeah, yeah, I just encourage all of you to follow Peter uh, and his work with Atra in particular. And um, think, reflect about all the things that we discussed today, because I think it's important to, you know, for, for any athlete that is in the sport, it's important to realize where we are and uh, the choices that we make, uh, of course, have an impact on the sport and on the people around us. So thank you again, Peter. And uh, yeah. See you in just a little over a month in many to Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Glad you're coming out for Pikes Yeah. Peak. Excited yeah. to come back. Always a pleasure. And we'll, we'll have to go to Matt Carpenter's custard shop. For sure. Thanks, guys. All right. Ciao. Ciao a tutti. Ciao, ciao. Ciao, ciao.